0: Welcome to the Fat Tail Investment Podcast again. I'm Callum Newman, and today I'm thrilled to say we're going to be joined by uh, a man called Jim Rogers. Now, if you don't know the name, uh, he's been a big fish in the financial world for a very long time—half a century, in fact. Um, he's a man of uh, mature years, and back in the 1970s, started, 70s rather, he started—70s rather—he started one of the first hedge funds and had. Huge success with a guy called George Soros, who's also a very famous uh, speculator now. Uh, Jim retired at about 37 in around 1980, and ever since he's been running his own account. Uh, in 1990 or thereabouts, he did a massive trip around the world, which gave birth to a book here, which I'm holding up, called Investment Biker, um, which is an absolute classic. Um now, before we get to the interview with Jim, I thought I'd just read you a bit. So it's a great book, even though obviously it's very dated in what he's talking about. Um, it actually holds up really, really well. He goes through the Soviet Union, and he talks about some of his uh, you know investments that he, he that he had made uh, previously and he was making at the time. Anyway, I just thought I'd read you this uh, little bit, and I'll relate it to something uh, that popped up in my world recently. Anyway, but this is uh, Jim talking in the book uh, about. mistakes that you can make as an investor. And he says, one of the biggest mistakes most investors make is believing they're always got to be doing something, investing their idle cash. In fact, the worst thing that happens to many investors is to make big money on an investment. They are so flushed, excited and triumphant that they say to themselves, okay, now let me find another one. And he goes on to say, the trick in, in investing is not to lose money and the losses will kill you. They ruin your compounding rate, and, the, and compounding is the magic of investing. End quote there from investment banker Jim. And I just thought I'd bring that up because Jim in his hedge fund had some staggeringly re, uh, big returns from some of the stocks, like thousands of percent, and he was only able to do that, of course, by buying and holding on and not selling too early. Anyway, the reason I bring that up is I got a letter one day out of the blue and I used to work on a small cap newsletter called Small Cap Alpha. And I tipped a stock in 2018 called Chalice Gold. And I still remember it because I'd met, actually met the guy that uh, was the chairman at an investing conference about a year before. And I remember going, this is really amazing. You could buy the stock for about 12 cents, but it had 10 cents of cash on the books, right? But it also had seven different projects. And so effectively you were almost paying nothing for all these projects run by an established mining entrepreneur who had been on the, the chalice had been on the stock market for 10 years at that stage and had never raised money after its IPO or, you know, in that period, which for a junior explorer is like some sort of record because they're always running out of cash. Anyway. So I tipped the stock and uh, did all right uh, following that. And then I said to the guys, look, you can either hang on to it or, or take the, 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 the quick win or, uh, at the time. Anyway, lo and behold, one of the, I get this letter out of the blue, and one of the guys that bought it did hold it. And when I say he, he held it, he held it through the COVID collapse. So uh, you know, it takes some guts to do that, but he obviously made up his mind that this was worth going for. And so at the very bottom of the COVID collapse in March 2020, out of the blue, Chalice Gold hits this massive strike out in Perth. And so even in the depths of the whole panic and disaster, you know, something really incredible happened. And, and uh, Andrew, so that, the, the background, I get the letter, and this is Andrew. It goes, Dear Kellen, I just wanted to thank you for recommending Chalice Gold in December 2018. This was a recommendation through Small Cap Alpha. I bought 25,000 shares at 12 cents for an outlay of about $3,000. Today they are worth $7.76 and have been over $8. I am currently looking at a return of 6,300%. So $3,000 has become 194,000 and growing. Anyway, what a buzz to get that letter. That was great. And to me, it just shows you that you can achieve amazing things uh, in the share market, and they do come along. And Jim Rogers proved it as well, that if you buy something cheap enough and something uh, comes along to change that dynamic and send it up in a powerful way, the worst thing you can do is sell it too early. So there, there's always a case for, for hanging on. If you, if you really think there's something amazing to do, you can achieve incredible returns. And there's an example. Now, so we go look at the world today and we go, well, what would Jim Rogers do today? Where is he looking? What does he, where does he see big opportunities? So I got him on the phone from his house in Singapore. And once his housekeeper had bought him a coffee, he was ready to go and revved up. So here is Jim Rogers with a, a fat tail idea at the end, indeed, about where, and you'll never you'll never guess where he's going looking for a big, amazing return. All right. So, Jim, the reason I wanted to get you on. So I've followed you for a long time, and I'll even this might even put a bit of a smile on your dial. I don't know. Can you see that there with the, oh the investment biker yes, there? Do, yes, do, that's do you remember this good. guy?
1: <laughs> what a good book. What a good book. Yes. yes, yes.
0: <laughs> it's a great book. So anyway, so um About 10 years ago, I would say uh, for me that that I started to become aware of your career and all that sort of stuff. So that led me back to your book, Hot Commodities, which was published in 2004. And you spoke at the time about how you set up your index in 1999 and you saw a a China-led surge in commodity prices. Here we are in 2021. My question for you is, do you think we are in a similar situation as we were back in that period today where we have a lot of demand coming in for commodities but there has not been a lot of investment in commodities over the last 10 years and we could have that similar structural bull market in commodities?
1: Uh, it- A similar period has started. I presume you know that commodities have been going up. They've been very strong for the last year or so. uh, And I would suspect that that's going to continue. I don't see anything to stop it at the moment. And and I certainly see that every central bank in the world is printing huge amounts of money and and central governments are borrowing and spending huge amounts of money. So you put those two things together and normally, that leads to higher prices. I would quickly, if you have a second column, also point out that as I look around the world at all asset classes, bonds are in a bubble. No question, bonds all over the world have never been this expensive, and that's so a bubble. Property in many places, Korea, New Zealand, many places, property is becoming a bubble. Not everywhere, but many places. Stocks. Stocks are beginning to form bubbles. I mean, Amazon, Tencent, Samsung, these stocks never go down. Not everything, but, but there are many stocks that are forming bubbles. The cheapest asset class, in addition, are commodities. I mean, silver, silver is down 60% from its all-time high. Sugar is down 60% from its all-time high. God, these are not bubble numbers when you're talking about something that's down 60%. So as I look around the world, the cheapest asset classes is commodities. Governments are printing huge amounts of money, spending huge amounts of money. There are many supply disruptions for many reasons and some demand problems. I mean, apparently we're going to have electric vehicles. Well, electric vehicles use much more copper than than petrol vehicles. So you see demand coming from many places too that will be new. So all of these things put together, I own commodities and that's about the only thing I would buy here in October of 2021.
0: Do you see, obviously here in Australia, we're highly sensitive to what China does all the time. Back in 2001 period, China was sort of bursting onto the international scene. Now the general perception is it's slowing down, it's a lot more debt riddled than it used to be. Do you think China still offers that demand pull on the asset class, or is it shifting to other countries, perhaps India and Southeast Asia? Well,
1: China certainly doesn't have the demand pull it did in two thousand one. For many of the reasons you just have said, uh, primarily, China has a lot of debt now. In two thousand one, China didn't, nobody would lend money to the Chinese back then. Uh, But now, of course, the Chinese have debt. I mean, everybody has more debt as well. And there are not many countries, well, even the Russians are beginning to have debt. Uh, The Indians have a lot of debt. Debt is a gigantic problem everywhere. If you ask me, uh, the next bear market, and we've always had bear markets, we always will, uh, the next bear market is going to be horrible because there's so much debt now. You know, in 2008, we had a problem because of debt. How, the debt, oh my gosh, since 2008, the debt everywhere has skyrocketed. Like even, Ch- even China, as I said, even Russia's beginning to have debt. The Japanese are building staggering amounts of debt. America's the largest debtor nation in the world now. So no, the next time we have a bear market, it's gonna be a nightmare. But in the meantime, In the meantime, there's a lot of money printing and there's not much supply of most
0: commodities. So when you're up there in Singapore, you in your book Hot Commodities, you go when you go into this sort of commodity bull market, you look at commodity producing countries. Therefore, do you take a more active interest in Australia than you might have done 10 years ago now? And the Aussie stocks, for example?
1: Well. Uh, Yes, yes and no. I don't know if in that book, in one of my books, I talked about how the lucky country is not so lucky anymore (laughs) because your politicians are even worse than American politicians. I cannot believe some of the people you keep keep cranking out. Uh, Literally worse than ours in America. I thought we had the worst in the world. Uh, You do keep making mistakes. You have built up debt. And for some reason, it, i got all these guys trying to fight with the Chinese. Uh, If if I were you, I'd be trying to buy the Chinese a beer. Be nice to them. Uh, But, uh, of course, I'm more interested in Australia because of the commodity situation, but that applies to any country. Any country that has a lot of natural resources. Russia, Australia, Brazil. I mean, You know the Canada. You know the names. They obviously will be in better shape now than without.
0: I can't remember. We did this a couple of years ago, and I said to you at the time, there's a classic commodity, Jim Rogers-style play. It's called Uranium. And you perked up at the time, and you're oh, you know what? Actually, I just started looking into that. And it didn't go any further, but I just saw recently in an article you did, you've been stomp- stomping around or uh, either on the web or in real life in Kazakhstan, which I believe is got lots of Uranium. Did you actually ever follow up on that uranium story? And do you have any thoughts on it? I do
1: own a, a bit of uranium, uh, probably not as much as I should, uh, but I do own a, a bit of uranium, whether it's because of you or somebody else, I don't know, but I do own some uranium. <laughs> but and, I, and I have
0: invested in newspapers now. Did, did you, um, how do I say, do you have a view on? this great debate where we have where the tech guys say, no, solar's coming to, to wipe out fossil fuels, et cetera. And then there's the, the contrarians say, well, th- we need to have a bridge between today and that reality. And I'm sure you know coal prices surged in China recently. Um, uh, natural gas, LNG prices have gone bananas. Do you have an, an overview of that dynamic as such?
1: Well, I, I, I read the same press you do. Uh, yeah, everybody says we don't like dirty fuel. Well, I don't like dirty air either. Nobody wants dirty air. But uh, if we close all the coal mines, we run out of coal, and the price of coal goes through the roof, you see what's happening to oil prices, coal prices, natural gas prices. Now, uh, we, we have to understand reality, and if you don't have coal mines, you don't have coal. And then where do you get your electricity in 2021? So uh, whether that you can call it a transition period, call it whatever you want. But the way the world works is if you want electricity, you got to have electricity from somewhere. And whether that's uranium or, you know, many people in Europe shriek every day about we've got to close the atomic energy plants, the nuclear plants. And they do. And now prices are going through the roof for electricity. Uh, these are simple facts. what you can call it a transition period or we call it whatever it doesn't matter what we call it. the facts are unless we have supply we're not going to have electricity and most people still when they go in and they turn on the switch, <laughs> they want the lights to go on
0: <laughs> they do <laughs> you
1: know and they may look out the window and say the air is bad but I got to be able to see the air I <laughs> need
0: electricity so. Well, we mentioned China there. And I'm I did, Just quickly, I'm,
1: I'm, I'm a director of a coal company, actually. And of course, prices are skyrocketing. Uh, through no fault of our own, uh, it's just that there is no coal. And there's no, none of this stuff. Oil Known reserves of oil have been declining for a long time. Long came fracking, you know, uh, and we had a big bubble for a while. If you could spell fracking, people would give you money. But then, like all bubbles, that bubble burst. People realize, oh, they got to pay their bills. They got to pay their bonds. Uh, and so the fracking bubble has popped. Still have fracking, but the gigantic oversupply from fracking is gone since the bubble has burst. So, I mean, this is very simple facts. You don't have supply. You don't have electricity.
0: We, just to bring it back to China, Obviously, you are held in great esteem over there. You have, I oh, no doubt, lots of contacts there. Uh, do you buy into this narrative that Xi Jinping is a kind of taking China on a harder path, and he's a dictator, and you know all the stuff we hear in the West? Um, do you think that's viewed the same within China as it is outside of China?
1: Well. I read the the same press you do. I I don't read Chinese, I only read English. So uh, whatever I read, it's through the same English speaking eyes that you read. Yes, I, I read that things have closed off so I'm in China. On the other hand, the man himself and others in China are constantly going around saying, please, we must open up the world. We must abide by international rules. Uh, I mean, they say many, many, many things like that. And there are plenty of evidence that things they are trying to open up. You may know Huawei, the, the 5G company, always going around the world saying, guys, let us in, let us in. And some people are saying, go away, go away. You're dirty Chinese, too closed off. Well, I mean, who's, who's the problem in that case? the dictator of China, the quote dictator of China
0: or the dictator of America. Okay. And for years you talked about agriculture and uh, the opportunity, so there was very cheap, and, and for a long time it didn't really do much. Now it's really starting to move. Is that still your favourite way to play the commodity bull market through agriculture?
1: Well, mainly because that's the cheapest right now. Well, that and, and energy, as um, I look at the prices, uh, and I haven't done it quite recently, but uh, energy and, and agriculture are the cheapest prices. And I, I'm, I know your parents taught you to buy low and sell high. So <laughs> if you, I always start with what's low. I don't necessarily buy what's low, but that's where I
0: start when I look it up. A new investment, and I mean, years ago you created your index. Oftentimes, the financial industry, when it goes in cycles, obviously back in two thousand four to two thousand, that was going bananas. Everybody wanted to get in onto the commodities. The last ten years, everybody wanted to buy the fang stocks. Do you get a sense that the investor psychology is shifting? Commodities, And people will start asking you again, you know, how do I get on your index and how can I buy it? How can I trade it? Do you know what I mean? Well,
1: I see it happening. I I said to you before, I, I go look at all the asset classes and I see that everything's expensive except commodities still. Now, that doesn't mean commodities will go up, but then I look further at commodities and I see there are fundamental things that make commodities attractive at the moment, but... Callum, people have to buy what they know. If if I said to you, "Oh, please, you should go and buy uh, agriculture," you said, "I don't, I don't like farmers. I don't know how to buy. I don't know how to buy cotton. But well, don't buy cotton. <laughs> don't buy it if you don't know how to do. For goodness' sake, don't buy anything you don't understand." But as I look around, I see changes. You know, Callum, agriculture has been a nightmare for decades the average age of farmers in america is 58 in japan it's 66 in in australia i think it's 58 as well you know uh, the highest rate of suicide in the uk is in agriculture i mean more people in the united states study public relations than study agriculture nobody wants to be a farmer but I've been around a long time, and I know that if you go to a place where there's not much competition, chances are you will succeed, even if you're not very bright. And if there's nobody in the business, there's going to be supply-demand problems. I mean, it's a simple, I'm not too smart, but I'm, I have enough experience to know how this works. And agriculture is a nightmare. Has been.
0: Has been. Yes, Absolutely. So where do you when obviously American agriculture is a big part of the economy over there we sort of had Donald Trump come in and launch a trade war. Where is American farming at the moment? Have you sort of followed it's sort of fallen away as far as Australia is concerned we don't hear about that much anymore the tariffs, et cetera
1: Well, I do know that uh, the prices of
0: farm land
1: has been going up for the last uh, little while, three or four years but so somebody. Sees what I see. Uh, I, obviously, the price of sugar is still not gone up a lot. The price of most agricultural products is still somewhat depressed, but it's beginning to happen. I, I I own these I own these products, and so I know that my the prices are going up. But somebody's buying them, uh, and it's happening. It's happening. We, we don't have enough farmers. We don't have enough anything. And the fact that we had this epidemic, of course, makes it harder and harder to get people to come and farm, get people to do many things. And in the U.S. and other countries, you need, we need immigrant labor because we don't have enough of our own and that has been a problem too because of the COVID, because of the political situation. So, I mean, it's all coming together. You can ask me in five years how long it lasted But uh, I would suspect it's going to last long enough
0: for me to make a little bit of money. Well, Jim, I read your memoir, which came out, uh, I can't even remember when it came out, Street Smarts it was called, and in that book you sort of took a bit of delight in demolishing the old idea of the bricks, which was still popular at that time um, and totally vindicated Brazil (laughs) and uh, Russia. It really sort of fell away. One, do you get a sense though that India is getting better than it was, that, it, 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 that Modi and, and the, the urbanization there can replicate in some way what China did in the last 20 years?
1: Well, I know that that's the PR they put out. I know Mr. Modi is very, very popular everywhere. He, he has he's really good uh, on camera and he says good things. Uh, I don't have investments in the India. I mean, the stock market has been booming this year, so I wish I did, but... Uh, uh, they, they have built up a lot of debt, and the debt gets higher and higher in India. So I I would like to think that, but so far, uh, they, they, they haven't proved it to me. Uh, as I say, he talks a wonderful game, and he's done some good things. I mean, he changed the tax system, which has been a nightmare for decades. So, yes, he's doing something, but I... I um, you know, I've been around the world a couple of times, Calum, and the, the worst bureaucracy in the world is in India. Uh, there are got many, many ethnic groups, linguistic groups, religious groups. Um, it has been at times in history a wildly successful society and country, but it's also been a nightmare at many times. So I don't have investments there to my chagrin.
0: Yeah, I I I wish I
1: did. It's one of those things I've missed, but don't worry, I've missed many things in my life.
0: But just out of interest, you mentioned there one thing I whenever I see you interviewed, it's blindingly apparent that you're very conscious of what's going on around the world um, all the time. What's a typical day look like for you as a sort of man who runs his own capital? And I mean, do you get up and check what the US markets did? Do you even care about that stuff anymore? Do you just you know, Uh, say good morning to the family and go and (laughs) go down to Singapore Shopping Center?
1: I don't go down to the Singapore Shopping Mall. No, I don't don't do that. Uh, Well, I I do. I am aware of what's happening in the market, but it's not as though I have a ticker in my room, in my bedroom or something, or some way to access markets. (laughs) Uh, Those days are long, long, long gone, uh, but I'm certainly interested in what's going on. But tell them, you know, there are many people in the world, there are a lot of people right now that you could go outside your door, and there are a lot of people who could tell you an enormous amount about Australian football. I could tell you nothing about Australian football. And many people I know can just go on and on about the NBA, the National Basketball Association in the United States. I couldn't name a single player. So we all have our interests and our passions and our madness. You know, my madness is what's happening in the world. That's why when I discovered Wall Street, that's why I immediately went to Wall Street. I knew nothing about Wall Street, but I did have enough sense to know that I was very, very interested in what's happening in the world and what's going on. And here was a place that would pay me to to know that and to know it right. So, I mean, that's my passion. Now, if you want to talk about Australian football, I'll meet you down at the pub. But <laughs> you're not going to talk to me very long. You're going to say, give this guy a beer and let him go outside. <laughs>
0: now, we all have our own madness. Well, just you mentioned touch briefly when you did go to Wall Street, obviously everybody knows you had the possibly the most successful fund of, of all time maybe. Some of those share price rises that you've talked about in the past were were absolutely enormous. How at the time did you manage to hang on without taking profits too early? If you if that makes sense. Like I think you yeah, multiple ones go up a thousand percent. How did was that something that you learned from somebody else, or you just trusted where it was going? How did you do that?
1: Basically, uh In those days, and even now, if you buy something cheap enough and and if you find things that are really, really, really cheap uh, and where there's dramatic change taking place, there's no reason to sell for a long, long time because, in theory, the positive changes will continue to develop and snowball on themselves. I bought China decades ago. I've never sold any Chinese shares. My, my plan, you know, if I, if I had sold American, if I would American shares in 1918, I would have been crazy to sell them for the next 70, 80 years. Uh, yeah, plenty of bear markets, plenty of horrible times. But if I were just a simple old man sitting in the closet, I would have kept my shares. And that's my view of China, too. I bought them when they were virtually dirt, dirt, dirt cheap. And the changes are going to go on for a long time. And someday my children are going to say, well, he must have been a smart old man. Look at these shares. (laughs) Look at all these shares we got in China. We're rich. How did he know? I mean, that's my view. That's the way I like to invest. And if you find something cheap enough where the changes are dramatic enough, in theory, you don't have to sell for a long, long time. Nothing goes on forever as you well know. I'll give you an example that nothing goes on forever. The Dow Jones Industrial Average, everybody's heard of it. It was founded in, I think it was 1896 or more or less, you know, more or less 125 years ago. None of those companies are still in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. They were the, the most dominant, exciting, powerful, wonderful companies in America at that time none of them are still there in the industrial average. They're all entirely new companies. So nothing goes on forever. it Joe, the industrial average is going on forever, but it is made up of entirely different companies, different everything. So the world changes, which is one of the exciting things about being in the investment business. It's always changing, and that's why it's
0: so exciting. We mentioned, if you had two kids or what have you, you do have two kids. I mean, have they inherited this curiosity about the markets and the the world or are they interested in other things?
1: They're 13 and and 18 at the moment and they have shown no interest. (laughs) If and and when they start asking, well, my 18-year-old just the other day did ask something, that's because she's got a boyfriend whose father's in the market. And her father, his father asked her about the market, <laughs> and she doesn't know anything. Uh, but no, if and when they ever show an interest, you know, I have learned, and I'm sure you have too, if you try to teach somebody something they don't care about, they don't pay much attention, they don't learn much. If you find somebody that's extremely interested in something, they learn a lot very fast. If and when that comes, I will try to teach them what I know.
0: Well, Jim, just to, just to finish up, I'll just mention your book there, Investment Biker, which has become an investment classic. Uh, it's a long time ago now, 40 years, basically. I mean, do no, you even... 30 years, 30
1: years.
0: 30 Sorry, 30. Sorry, yes, 30. Um, are you sort of amazed at how much change there has been in the world in, in that 30 years when you ran around that, that bike on that trip to today?
1: You know, it's an extremely good question. Uh, first of all, in that book, I say, you know, I want to do this again in a, in a few uh, years, 25 years, I think, so, to see how the world has changed, because I know it, it will change. But what I have, in one of my books afterwards, I have said, the worlds always changed. You can pick any year in world history, and 15 years later, everything that people knew and believed had changed. You do it, 1900, everything that people knew was absolutely certain in 1900 was totally wrong in 1915. Everything they knew in 1915 was totally wrong in 1930. doesn't matter, you pick any year uh, in in world history and you will see that the world is constantly changing dramatically, uh, no matter whether we like it or not. So I have no idea what's going to be happening in 2036. But I know that everything we think is correct is going to be wrong in 2036. Now, what you and I have to do, first of all, we all have to watch Fat Tail Capital to find <laughs> out what's going to happen so that we can participate and make money on whatever's happening in 2036. Because whatever it is, you look out the window, I promise you, it's not Apple we look out the window in 2036, there may be an apple out there, but it is not going to be what it is today, et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> so am I surprised? Of course I'm surprised. But no, I'm not surprised. I know something's going to change. <clears throat> I always have known that, I guess. <clears throat> and I wish I knew. I, I, I'm telling you, Kellum, you should stop talking to me. You should watch Fat Tail Capital, figure it all out, and get it And it. you. Yeah, tell me, and I don't have to worry about it.
0: All right. Well, send, me a, send me a
1: short email. Don't make it too complicated. Don't make it too
0: long. All righty, Jim, thank you very much. It's, it's been a pleasure. So as far as you're concerned, commodities um, are the asset class to at least go hunting for opportunities, and, and you start with that picture and uh, we'll check back in with you in a year or two and see how we're going.
1: Well, there are certainly other opportunities besides commodities. As an asset class, just to make myself simple and to repeat my it's the cheapest asset class I know uh, of all the asset classes around the world right now. Uh, there are some countries that are cheap uh, right now. Uh, I mentioned you Uzbekistan. I bought some shares there recently. Sure, there are places that are cheap. Uh, I would tell you, Callum, just to to ruin your day, to ruin my day, I actually am thinking about getting involved in Saudi Arabia. Now, who in my lifetime uh, would have said, Saudi Arabia? You're going to invest in Saudi Arabia? What, What are you nuts? Don't you know? Don't you know? Don't you know? Don't you know? Yeah, no. Not everything you just said is true for the last 100 years. But I think I see pretty dramatic changes taking places in Saudi Arabia, of all places.
0: Is that where they're letting in tourists and that sort of thing? Letting in tourists, trying to
1: attract investment, trying to attract residents, uh, all of the things that you and I know. What, what you Look back over what happened to Australia in the last 100 years. You know, a hundred years ago, if you wanted to drink beer, you could in Australia. If you wanted to go dancing, if you wanted to play football, if you wanted to do lots of things, you could in Australia. And many people came there and did and had a lot of fun and great prosperity. You couldn't do any of that in uh, Saudi Arabia a hundred years ago. But I'm getting the sense. Now, I haven't done it. I haven't even opened an account. In fact, I shouldn't
0: have told you, but now you know,
1: you're going to be looking at it too.
0: No, no, I'm um, going to say even one more than that. When you go, can I come with you? <laughs> well, I want to go with the investment biker on a trip. <laughs>
1: well, actually, I, I did drive across Saudi Arabia once, which was impossible even in those days. And somehow or another, they let me do it. But back to the, back to the point, I have the impression that, Well, you know what's happened in the United Arab Emirates, Dubai and and Abu Dhabi. You know that they have attracted a lot of investment and a lot of people, and even, in fact, a lot of residents in the last 20 years or so, and, and wildly prosperous. I am beginning to read this new guy in Saudi Arabia wants to do the same thing. He's a young guy. Yeah, I mean, the guy. there's some some bad things you can say about it, but the bad thing you can say about everybody. Um, I have no idea if it's reality, if I it's not just something that I, one of these things that I, I got to check, I got to check. And then I check and I say, hey, forget it, forget it. <laughs> um, but if it's real, it, it is. It's a shock to me. And I'm telling you, you know, I am the one to tell you about it. Uh, it's, it's a great shock. To, if it's actually happening, I think back over many countries where I've invested in the past 50 years or so, I think this would be one of the biggest
0: biggest surprises if it Demi, happens. I love that. That's a real fat tail idea there. So thank you. You've just, you've just delivered what, we, what we're looking for. So thank you You're very welcome. much okay you if have we to, think it's a good one <laughs> so you you look at you watch fat cow
1: fat tail and let me know if it's right okay then uh, i don't have to do it but you're still taking me there homework. okay <laughs> i don't have to do my homework now you can do it for me <laughs> alright
0: you right yeah, we're gonna time. go mate so thank you very much thank for you thank you it, thank you thank you bye-bye it's been a pleasure we'll do it again thank you bye-bye bye-bye bye-bye, bye-bye.